Everyday Non-Ordinary. I'm your host, Jenny Wiener. This is like my third time recording this intro. I was recording it next to my sleeping dog and you could hear him moving softly and licking his lips and whimpering a little bit in his sleep. So I moved rooms. I'm trying it again. Um, This is the first episode of 2022, which is wild. Happy New Year. I'm so grateful that you're here listening. If this is your first time listening, this is a podcast about psychedelic integration, essentially how we can take the insights and experiences and wisdom gleaned from our work with psychedelics and integrate that, translate that into meaningful, lasting change in our lives. It's a a subject that I'm very much studying and learning about myself. I don't claim to have all the answers. Integration is a really rich, complex, diverse subject, and I'm just really trying to explore it from as many angles as I can myself and figured I might as well share some of that with you, some of what I'm learning as I talk to other people. Uh, Today's episode features my friend Vero Ruelas. Vero is just a really special person, really amazing person in the psychedelic space. As soon as I met her, I just kind of wanted to know more about her and what she's been doing. She really just radiates all of the healing and work that she's been doing, um, but is just so authentic, so grounded in the work. And as you'll hear, you know, she really is a great example of taking an insight, you know, some theme from her work and integrating that into her daily life, you know, really making that into something ongoing, something that continues to unfold, and as you'll hear, even into sort of a new professional venture for her. So I hope that you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Uh, Make sure to check the show notes where I include the full bio. I just don't like to read word for word a whole bio in these intros, um, but there's always good information there. So check it out and I'll catch you on the other side. So hi, Vero. Hey, Jenny. So lovely to see you. It's so great to be here with you. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. My pleasure. I feel like we really overcame some scheduling challenges together. Yeah. And it happened to perfect timing. Yeah. Yeah. So I would love to start if you could just share, you know, some of your story and how that led you to psychedelics. Yeah, it was, uh, it's interesting because I had just um, moved to Miami. And so psychedelics weren't in my repertoire of things that I used to, let's say, numb out. (laughs) And so, um, but I got introduced to them down there. And within a short while, I had an existential experience. And so um, this kind of voice came in, which was like, who am I? And then I said, well, I'm Veronica. And then they said, they or me or my higher self, quantum field said, who's Veronica? And uh, and so I was 
it, it got me thinking like, what is this, the observer, you know, even though I didn't have that language yet, I had that experience and then led me to, uh, well, if I can, if my brain can start to do that on psychedelics, it can do that through meditation. So there was kind of a higher wisdom that came through giving me that message. And within six months, I left Miami and I was in India. And so I started on this path of India with a lot of uh, meditation, uh, Vipassana, mantra-based, and did my yoga teacher training and really started delving into the, um, the Vedas, which are the yogic scriptures. Uh, and so, um, so took a break from psychedelics and found that work and did that for several years until I uh, came back to psychedelics, knowing uh, that they were really good for trauma reduction. So I was really curious about that um, and then started working it from a therapeutic perspective. And it was just so poetically beautiful to be listening to the mantras while I am on this journey. And it felt like it felt like so affirming that both of my worlds came together, both my ashram world and my chic world, <laughs> my party world. And so, uh, so yeah, that's, that's, that's how I landed. And now I only work with it from a ceremonial perspective. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I've retired my party girl. <laughs> <laughs> Left her in Miami. Yeah, I did. <laughs> wow. And before that, before India, were you at all immersed in the yoga world or any kind of sort of spiritual inquiry? No. And no, I mean, I, we, we, I was born as a, as a, as uh, most Latinas are in, in a Roman, like Catholic environment. And my parents were always seekers. So we kind of uh, always went from, um, not so much from church to church, but like after we were kind of done with the Catholic church, then we went to Protestant and evangelical. And so I was exposed to a lot of beautiful teachings from different lineages, which created a natural sense of curiosity in me. And then as an adult, I studied Kabbalah and I just kept going. And, uh, but it wasn't that nothing landed in me the way the yoga scriptures did. And I really kind of felt like I came home when I did that. So what that was, whether it was past life or, um, or why that was, but I was always, I always had, uh, I was very tethered to faith of, to God. Yes. Yeah, so it was just always there, not to the degree that it was once I, once I started going to India. And it sounds like the medicine also played a big part in sort of opening that up. Huge. It, it was huge. Um, because then all of a sudden now things weren't so um, intellectual or cognitive from the perspective of like, oh, okay, that's the way the world works or um, that's why we're here. Uh, now there was an experiential um, process that was happening and I felt it in my body. And that really is what uh, brought me to this place of like knowing truth, capital T versus okay, that's truth and accepting that and, and having faith based on that. This was a very different experience. How long ago was that? Like how long has this journey sort of spanned now? It's it. I started, let's see, I was in Miami about 15 years ago. So this process has been now 15 years and it's been, um, 
I think that my experience with psychedelics uh, that led to my committed practice of meditation, like the psychedelics helped my meditation practice because meditation so many times is just trying to quiet the mind and um, decreasing restlessness, which is very important. But because I had already gone so deep in this in, with psychedelics, I understood now from, again, from that experiential place of different dimensions and realms. And so I really kind of understood what the goal of, psych, of meditation was beyond just kind of those 15 minutes on the cushion or just in yoga class. And so, um, and so I think that they really help each other. It's really interesting. I have friends that started the meditation practice before working with psychedelics. And that also helped deepen their psychedelic experience. Uh, so it's, it's, it's interesting how they both really are um, symbiotic and help one another. And so I, am, um, I can't imagine now one without the other. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that the goal too is, um, and, so, and what's happening now is when I meditate, I can go into journey space, even though there's been no dosing. So, uh, so that goes to show that there's a lot of fluidity now naturally in the system that has been happening. And so I think that eventually it's there, there would be no difference between real life and journey space that we start to kind of re- really live our day to day with that with that knowing, with that truth, uh, and free of uh, these um, vibrational frequencies of anxiety or depression or doubt or fear, and uh, those places that we go to in journey space that we have just access so that we can embody that in our day-to-day lives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like that's something that with sort of just a standard yoga practice or mindfulness practice or even traditional therapy, we're always sort of trying to achieve. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's almost like that asymptote where it, it approaches, but almost feels like it can never quite get there. And mm-hmm. I've definitely noticed something different working with the medicines that just opens it up to like a new level. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, I, it took, it took a few years, but I went to um, take a Vipassana meditation course in at Northern India. And it's a 10 day silent uh, where you're really, they have you hand in your computer, your notebooks, your phones. I mean, you are completely disconnected, wake up at 4 a.m., meditate 11 hours a day. And by, um, by day four or five, I started experiencing what I experienced in psychedelics. But the thing is, is that we're not living in the caves, in the Himalayas. So, (laughs) so as householders that are, you know, having to work and live, it's close to impossible to get there. And so it's really, I think, vital for us all to experience what that's like in our body so that we can stay connected to that in our day-to-day practice. I think that's what the beauty of doing this work is, is that now it's not just from a textbook or from someone else's experience. I can own that experience for myself. And I know that I have the capability to be able to get there. And so um, I think that that's, that's really the, uh, one of the goals of it. That was so beautifully said. 
Were there certain medicines that you sort of gravitated towards and found yourself working with more consistently? Once I started learning about um, how psychedelics were amazing for trauma reduction, I got introduced to a psychiatrist here in New York and, um, and we went through and it was with ketamine. So, um, so that's really where the most of my experience comes from. Um, and for me, ketamine really brings me to these beautiful artistic landscapes that are phenomenal and, um, and rich in, in technicolor and in beautiful textures and art that I have never seen before. And I used to think, wow, isn't, aren't I so lucky that um, consciousness, God, creator is uh, showing me these things? Like how, how blessed do I feel until I started realizing maybe into like my fourth journey in, I'm like, that's me. I'm seeing me. That is my, my unconscious that I'm looking at. And to be able to honor that in myself and to, I mean, my, my mind, because of trauma, goes so quickly to either catastrophizing or what's wrong with me or how could I um, be better, the not good enough, the lack of self-worth, and then to um, be able to see the richness of, uh, of all that um, I carry in the ethers was so affirming and so validating, and, uh, and that helps me stay connected to that. Every time I go to um, listen to the critical voice, I know on the other side, the polarity of that is I'm also capable of this. And that is really important in um, maintaining my whole woman, right? It's, I, it's like I can so easily allow myself to kind of get fragmented into the, the uh, landscape of the negative. And so I'm just so grateful to be able to have that, again, not from this cognitive perspective, but from this experiential one. So that sounds like something that carries with you sort of in between the sessions in everyday life. That's something you can access. It does. And what, I've, what I'm learning now is I don't work with the higher doses anymore. I work with the lower doses and, uh, just because integration is a lot easier with the lower doses. And um, so the higher doses were amazing, but it, they're amazing to be able to kind of get there and to feel that. Uh, but what, what starts to happen is, is that I'm kind of dating that experience and not marrying it, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm visiting there, but then how do I live there? So the lower doses help me kind of get there a little bit while I'm still with my ego and still with my thought processes. And I can then begin to pull that through the portal and start to embody that as I am uh, thinking through things. And this is all guided, again, with a therapist. Uh, and so I'm finding a lot of magic in the lower doses now. So there's really been this play and this exploration to really figure out what works for you and how to build this into like a sustainable practice in your life. That's really beautiful. Thank you. There, there have been other medicines that have been done um, out of the country. And, um, and let's say, for instance, ayahuasca or, or psilocybin. 
Uh, and that medicine just works differently in my body. And it brings me uh, not to the beauty, but it brings me to the trauma so that I can rewrite the story. And so it's a vastly different experience. And um, and there's a lot of trust that goes into uh, the people that I'm working with or the shamans that I'm working with. And I also feel like in what's, happen what's happening a lot is there isn't a lot of reverence. So people are doing this you know, um, haphazardly or they're on medications when they shouldn't be doing it. Or, uh, you know, in New York here, we hear people doing things in like studios of yoga studios in Brooklyn and and that's very dangerous because some of these portals shouldn't be open too quickly. And, um, and it can be re-traumatizing and we don't know how to come back to ourselves. So it's really important to, um, to really be working with people who really know what they're doing. And I wanted to go back for a moment. You touched on this theme that sort of emerged for you around when you would recognize that sort of critical voice, you said something like, you know, I realized that I could do that too, or say that too. And I was wondering if you could expand on that a little bit. Yeah, this, this, um, it just, it, there's such a, there's uh, this default network, right. That I, that like, I kind of just go to. And I think that, I think that we all do. Um, where there's some kind of shaming and there's some, there's an internal dialogue that's going on that is um, injurious to us. And for me, it was uh, so low, almost like elevator music. You don't really know that it's there. And until I started doing some journey work with some stronger medicines that I realized I, how much I shame myself and um and it, it became so loud that there was nowhere to turn. Um, and I, there was a lot of forgiveness that had to come into play with that. Um, forgiveness, one, forgiving myself for doing that, forgiving um, my grandmother who imprinted trauma, uh, I'm sorry, imprinted shame on me. And that was that's the voice that I learned how to shame myself from. And then uh, asking for forgiveness from my siblings and family members and friends that, that I like would shame and I would shame through humor, not even realizing it because it was such a, it's such a kind of like very nuanced, insidious, like it's just woven in there just mm -hmm. the right amount. And so, uh, so that was a big awakening, very humbling. Uh, and, and I had to do a lot of work for it not to create more shame in me. I mean, to really cultivate a, a practice of gratitude around that. So that, that was a blind spot that I got shown and, and it was an opportunity to be able to heal it. It's rough. It's rough to have those realizations. Um, and I think that that's why a lot of people are scared to do uh, trauma reduction because it sucks. I mean, there is truth in ignorance is bliss. I mean, mm. There is truth in that because it's painful, but um but I love this quote by Young that says, uh, "If you don't make the the, if you don't make the unconscious conscious, it will rule your life, and you will call it fate." So uh, I think of that every time I am ripping another Band-Aid off of my <laughs> of my shadows, because I don't want to be ruled by things unconsciously anymore. <sighs> There's so much there that I'm sitting with and reflecting on, you know, humor can be such a sort of cutting defense, you know, we use it as armor. 
but like you're describing, it can really have this dark side that sort of hurts everyone involved. Yeah. And I always, I always feel like wit is such a sign of intelligence, but there's, uh, there's nothing gifted in humor if it needs to be directed at someone else. Like, I'm really not that funny if I'm having to do it at someone else's expense, right? I mean, there's self-deprecating humor, which I can do all day long too, but that's probably not that like uh, constructive, you know? And so, but the flip side of that is that humor is really beautiful for healing. And I feel like it's really important and it's vital for my own sanity to be able to be playful around my stuff. And I feel that when I'm in the ketamine journey, it's really hard to do with the other medicines that are so much stronger. But with ketamine, like all of a sudden shame will come up, but because it's coming up in this kind of beautiful way, I'm like, oh my gosh, look at shame. There you are. And I can be really light around it. I'm like, oh my gosh, you're so adorable. And (laughs) so it starts to really create a different kind of conversation. And, uh, and so, uh, but humor is like, oh, it can heal all wounds. I really believe that. I really believe that if we can just not take it all so seriously. And I know that that's really hard to do because a lot of us are working through some really deep stuff. And so how did you start this process of forgiveness and even, even figure out what forgiveness means to you? I mean, I, I think it really can look a lot of different ways. Yeah, and it does. I, um, I started, I was thinking last year, last summer, um, we were in the middle of the pandemic. I mean, we kind of still are, um, but we thought we were in the middle last summer. Right. And, um, and then there was all the civil unrest. Um, there was anger everywhere. And I started feeling like, my gosh, like, why don't we know how to forgive? Like, it's such a hard lift. And, and then I started thinking about my own life and how much has had been happening. I, um, there's also my husband came with his trauma and the kids and it just, it was like, it just kept going, extending out and out. And I thought, wow, forgiveness is like really my karma. It's, it's, it's something that um, I also have to overcome and how a lot of times our karma can become our dharma, can be our life's work. And so it just, I just started thinking about things like that. I started working with A Course in Miracles, which is a, um, which is a study on the technology of forgiveness and how it creates that miracle is really kind of changing our perception. Um, and yeah, it just all, so all these kind of things intersected at once and created, and I guess like a, an awakening in me, like, wow, what would that start to look like? I need to start embodying that also in my life because, uh, I'm not going to start to be able to, uh, change the pain that I feel within me until I start forgiving. So started doing a lot of research on it and, um, and, uh, yeah, and forgivity was born. Um, it was, uh, my, my partner, Denise, my business partner, uh, she has also kind of her reasons and she feels it's like at the core of all healing. And I agree. And I think that probably my biggest motivating factor was I was just, um, just devastated by seeing so much unforgiveness in my own life and all around us. 
And uh, so, yeah, that was, um, and I, we started doing a lot of research. There was decades and decades done on forgiveness. And it turns out that unforgiveness, I mean, we're kind of hardwired for that. Uh, so it's not an, it's not an easy thing to just kind of all of a sudden do it's a process and it's a practice and it's an art, but we can master it. And so, I mean, thank God for things like neuroplasticity and creating a lot of awareness around this so that it's not like, I don't, it's not just one and done. It is really something that we have to like work on forever because people will always give us amazing reasons <laughs> to forgive right. yeah just being part of humanity we're always going to have to forgive something and that's a that's a question that I was sort of thinking about coming into this discussion and would love to sort of hear from you about this idea of forgiveness in the face of real harm real trauma I know a lot of people who might say, you don't have to forgive, or there are things that are unforgivable. And it sounds like you've really worked your way through some of that. And I'm wondering how you've sort of grappled with that question. Yeah, it's a question that uh, we ask a lot of people too, because it's really interesting to see uh, what's unforgivable for me is going to be different than what's unforgivable for you. And we know that there, uh, there are things that universally we will feel that they're unforgivable. We look at um, ch- uh, anything happening to children, of course, right? Um, and so uh, we start with really in terms of what are the physical benefits of living in a place of forgiveness and how detrimental is it to our health to live in unforgiveness that those things are actually scientifically based so we um we have inflammation in the body increased cardiovascular uh insomnia um, things like rumination. And the, these are those kind of little things, just as I was saying about the elevator voice with the, the elevator music with the inner critical voice. Uh, rumination is also that type of same kind of thing that it's very, um, almost feels like it's silence, but it's not. And, um, and so there's a lot of detrimental effects to living in unforgiveness. Now to our defense, uh, it's kind of Darwinian. So back in the day, if you were to take steal food from my farm, I would have to show you and show everyone around that I'm not going to put up with that behavior, right? Because if I didn't retaliate against you, um, that could mean that my life would be taken. Um, And so, or I would starve to death. Anyone could steal from me. So, okay, we understand it from that perspective, but now fast forward retaliation is not needed that way. And so, but we get so, we're so kind of hardwired to thinking that Um, these are heavy lifts. There is tremendous, tremendous pain and tremendous abuse um, in the world uh, that can feel demonic and evil. Uh, And so forgiving those things feels like we are leaving ourselves open to a vulnerability that can annihilate us. I mean, it's, it is, uh, it can feel like it's a matter of life or death. Um, and so we try to tease apart 
while validating that that is true. It will feel that way, but there is a process and it's, it's, it feels so scary because it could feel like from one day to the next, we need to forgive. And we're not saying that. And we're also not saying forgive and forget. Forgive and forget is a motto that we've been indoctrinated into. And we're saying it's okay to remember, but we free someone when we forgive and that someone is us. And so it is a really, um, it is, uh, there is a sense of freedom from forgiveness. And I think that once we are able to uh, really learn what the entire process is and really learn all the benefits from it and really learn how awful it is not to do it and to live in that place, um, we can start to embrace it a little bit more. It's interesting. It's forgiveness is in every religion, but it comes with contingencies. Every religion has this a little like, okay, you forgive, but you forgive on these dates or you forgive, but you have to go to someone right. um, or you forgive, but they have to show remorse. So it, they, they all have their little con conditions and um, without really kind of almost empowering us to um, have the power to just forgive on our own. Uh, what would it feel like to, I mean, I personally, I've always needed an apology to forgive. Like, I mean, it's to me to forgive without an apology. I felt so righteous in my anger, in my grudge. And, um, and so even learning that and understanding that. So we, we go into all the different ways that we forgive uses that we have um, for not forgiving. And so we're, our hope is by really helping to educate that entire um, beautiful um, challenge, because it is a beautiful challenge, and uh, that we can, that people can start to at least create a little bit of a crack and aperture in the possibility of doing it so that, okay, don't forgive um, the horrific abuse right away, but let's learn what it's like to forgive uh, the person that wronged us at work. And let's start with that so that we can start to create some consistency and safety around the practice. And, uh, and then we can start to create some muscle memory and some psychic memory around it. And like that little by little, so that it's not, oh my gosh, I've never run before and now I have to run a marathon. No, it starts with kind of like the first step and then a half a mile and then a mile. So it's like that. And uh, it needs to build onto itself so that safety can start to uh, be embodied and felt and believed in. And that safety is not going to come from one day to the next, I have to forgive my transgressor. And so in Forgivity, the app, you actually sort of walk people through the process. Is that right? Yes. We created a seven-part or a seven-step process um, that, through the acronym of FORGIVE. And it was we, we took everything from all the data that we had studied uh, and also felt like there were some parts that um, that weren't answered in the data that we were reading about. So we have that in there. And we encourage people to not have to forgive until they get to the end. And even then, if they're not ready to forgive, they don't have to. 
Um, so it's, it's almost like I, um, I used to smoke cigarettes and there's a beautiful uh, book called the easy way to stop smoking by Alan Carr. And he encourages you to smoke as you're reading the book. And he does an amazing job at like really kind of going through all these reasons. So by the time you're at the end of the book, you're like, Oh my gosh, how can I have still have a cigarette? Right. So we're kind of hoping it's like that. Like at the end, it's like, Oh my gosh. I mean, I, how can I not forgive Uh, for the deep, things that need forgiveness for the very deep trauma that's there, we are saying, um, please be in a trauma reduction program. Please be working with a therapist. Please be in a support group. Bring what you're learning to, from the app to those places and share it. We want you to share what you're learning here. Uh, but we are not in lieu of any type of therapeutic setting that people do need very validly and authentically to um, to heal trauma. Uh, and so we're very encouraging of that. We also discuss how to be able to find good therapists, uh, because we really believe in the power of therapy and in the power of community. So all that gets discussed there, but we also put in things like CBT, DBT, some positive psychology, understanding boundaries. Um, you know, what, what is PTSD? How, how, frequent and, and um, prevalent is it? Uh, because I think that people will really be surprised by that and also affirmed that they're not um, alone. I think a lot of people also feel alone and not validated uh, with the pain that they're living in because especially now with the pandemic, right? The sense of community has been so kind of taken from us. And so uh, being able to know that like, a lot of us are struggling with all these things. Forgiveness is a heavy lift. We, we get it. And it's essential for us to be able to kind of get to that place of um, feeling free. Because if we don't forgive, we are staying attached to, um, to these people that have wronged us forever. And, and so, um, it's really kind of learning how to break that chain and feeling safe in doing so. So, uh, so yeah, we, we really try to uh, encourage a lot of support around this because again, there's a lot of big things that need to be forgiven. And there's a lot of heavy trauma that a lot of people have gone through. I really love though, the sort of foundational idea that you don't have to do it. You don't have to forgive. It's sort of, that really resonates with me around gratitude. Like I used to really resent the idea of gratitude and that you should be grateful or have to be grateful. <laughs> and then, but yeah, yeah. someone or somewhere I read like, or you could just try it. And I was like, okay. Yeah, see how it feels. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that actually feels really nice. <laughs> totally, right? So we yeah. get permission. Yeah, exactly. It's like, you know what? I mean, like, yeah, why do we have to do anything? You know, we're just saying, listen, I mean, if, if, they're, if they're in the app or they pick up the book, um, which, is, which is now also getting written. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, if they, you know, they, they're curious. People are curious. Like, oh, what is this? Or um, we've done a lot of personal work on ourselves and, um, and yet we kind of feel stuck in certain areas. It's like there is a curiosity to the person that is going in and, and uh, looking for more healing. Um, but yeah, I don't want to be made to do it. And I don't want to be told what to do. And, um, and if it feels shitty, I don't want to do it. 
Like, and we're saying that's cool. Totally. Like we get it. Uh, but the seeds will have been planted. And when you're ready, at least you'll know how to do it. You'll know what the job is and you get to decide on your own. And so that is, that's where I think is like really empowering, right? If the power is in our hands and it's our, it's our own personal decision. No one's going to hell here if you don't forgive. I mean, let's face it, really. I mean, has anyone really, do we really know like what's going on on the other side and coming back and telling us like with hard proof evidence, we're all taking leaps of faith. We're all, we all have our own belief systems. Um, and, um, and, and for the most part, um, really feel that we're living a life that's in integrity with, our, with those belief systems. They may not look like they're in, in integrity to somebody else, but um, honoring that. So we also discuss like, no one's 100% evil either. Everyone deserves to be humanized. And um, given the right circumstances, I don't know how bad I would be. I mean, it's, um, you know, none of us, everybody's got a dark side and yeah. everybody's got a, a, a light side. And so that's really important to be able to start to accept that when we look at something from someone else's perspective, um, hurt people, hurt people, abuse people, abuse people. And that, that is true. And that's not minimizing trauma. That's just a fact. And if we can start to kind of open up um, our, our heart and our mind to be able to have the capacity to hold our truth and possibly hold their truth in the same like frame, we've got a shot at forgiveness. And that's all we're trying to do is just really open up that window a little bit more so that we can just see it a little differently. Um, and, 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 and that goes so quick to demonize, you know, um, because I think that that's where um, the practice of compassion also needs to come in. And that's a, it is, it's really hard to, to, to really fill ourselves up with that when someone's wronged us, right? Because we want to have self-compassion and that's really important. And, and so, and we're saying yes, and, right? It's not or. It's all yes and it can be both. And so that's really, we, we really try to, um, to really bring about that message. And we do put a lot of humor into the program because my God, I mean, if we're just talking about forgiveness, it's like who, it's like the driest thing ever, right? <laughs> I, mean, I mean, we've got to drop in these little snippets of, of humor just to let some air out of the balloon because it's, it's a lot. And so, um, and it's not to demean anyone's process or to belittle what someone has gone through. It's just to kind of like, okay, let's just exhale for a second here and let's go back to the content because it can get very heavy. And so, yeah, so we are, our thing is like, we educate, we use technology and a little humor. I'm reminded of a quote I heard once, I cannot remember who said it, but this idea that forgiveness or to forgive is essentially saying I'm human too. And yeah. to your point of just really, it's just an acknowledgement of the humanity and the capacity in all of us to harm and to heal and repair. Yeah. And your point is really well taken that it's for you. It's for the person who was harmed. And that again, you know, it's a choice and you can 
not engage or you can engage and possibly experience all of these measurable effects that you're talking about. And I believe it, that there's data that backs that up. Yeah. And it's, you know, what's interesting too, it's like, even if we're not ready to forgive other people, at least we need to start learning how to forgive ourselves. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that that's actually the hardest thing because I cannot be in relationship with the person that hurt me, but I still got to be in relationship with myself. So yes. I find that to be an even harder journey. Um, but it is vital for our sanity, for, um, for our health, uh, for us to be able to just uh, really live in our whole being so that we are um, open to the miracles of life because living in, in, in a place of um, unforgiveness with ourselves really shuts us down, really closes us. We don't feel deserving of things. We don't, our self-worth, I mean, it kicks up everything. And so, uh, so for, at the very least, we can do that. Um, and then if we know that we need to be forgiven of things, maybe, just maybe, we can find that ability to be able to forgive someone else, right? Because if I, if, I mean, if I have effed up before, right, I mean, who am I to throw the first stone, really, right? So um, now granted, of course, there's varying degrees of transgressions. And Absolutely. so um, there does, and it's not to say that forgiveness means that someone doesn't deserve justice. Right. A hundred percent, right? Yeah. Someone does deserve justice. But what, what was so beautiful in our research is that we started finding all these incredible videos of people, ordinary people uh, experiencing extraordinary things through forgiveness. I mean, Buddha level forgiveness and what has happened in their lives because of it. I have, their child was murdered and forgiving the murderer and how they started a nonprofit together. I mean, things that like, I am, I'm guessed and I'm saying, and to, and to hear them say, oh my gosh, I, the freedom I feel at having forgiven, this is not being a doormat. This is not, oh, turn the other cheek and hurt me again. No, this is, there is something bigger at play here that caused this to happen. And, um, and I need to be able to be free of that. I can't, I can't live with this hatred anymore. That hatred will eat us alive if we let it. And so that was also so beautiful for us to discover. Right. I mean, neither way is easy. It's not an right. easy way out. It's a different right. kind of hard. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is a different kind of hard, um, but but one that leads, I think, to liberation. Yeah, right. So if I'm gonna if I'm gonna hurt anyway, I mean, I might as well, <laughs> I might as well make sure it's gonna get me somewhere. Hurt in the right direction. Yeah, exactly. Make it hurt so good because yeah, um, because at the end of the day, none of us are getting out alive. Really, that's the truth Seriously. of all of it, right? So, <laughs> yeah. Wow. Could you ever have expected that a party in Miami would have led you to this? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny. My career, I was for 20 years as an optometrist. And I kind of was always like, is this really my calling? Um, and I started doing a lot of nonprofit work, which really helped me stay in, in the industry a lot longer. Because if my job day in, day out was which is better, one or two, I 
don't know what I would have done. I probably would have been in a straitjacket at some point because it was it, as much as I love my patients and love interacting with them. Uh, I, I just knew that there was, I had more to do. And so, um, so yeah, kind of going on this magic carpet ride, I mean, hopping on that yoga mat, literally, figuratively, mer- metaphorically, I mean, brought me to so many different places. I got to travel the world with my nonprofit work and really working with indigenous communities and providing free eye care. So that really filled my soul. Uh, but then it was time to sell my office. And um, and I, I just I knew that I was something else was going to happen. And I was patient. I had to feel that, that, that hell yes. What is going to be my next thing? Well, whatever and everything that you're doing, forgiving, meditating, (laughs) it's working because you're just, I remember meeting you and having that feeling of like, I want what she has just, Oh my gosh, you're so sweet. It's just so clear. You're so grounded in the work and you just radiate sort of all of it oh thank you so much that that is that feels very good to uh to hear and i am allowing uh the self-doubt in me to hear that too (laughs) so thank you for that i really appreciate it and um and, uh, and I felt the same for you. Uh, we were together over the summer and um, you have this beautiful sense of presence and confidence and uh, compassion and gentleness in your words and your approach and uh, how you look at things and how you explain things. And so um, I, I felt that with you, there was that connection, not so much so because I embodied those things, but because I wanted to. So oh. thank you for showing that to me. Yeah. That's so kind. Thank you. Yeah. Is there anything else that you're feeling called to share either on the app, on forgiveness, on psychedelics, anything? Oh, thank you. Uh, well, the app is going to be ready for beta testing in about a month. And so um, uh, one can go to forgivity.com to uh, start to kind of go down that journey. And um, so we are excited for people to come in and try it. Uh, There'll be, it's at no charge for now because we want to see how it's accepted and, um, and what's resonating for people. So I invite people to do that. And if people want to connect with you, are you on any social platforms or is the app really the best way to stay connected? Uh, well, out of our, we've got our roles that we've divvied up between Denise and I, and I am PR and media. And it's kind of funny because I took myself off of social media last year. Was Good like, for you. Okay. I need my sanity, but it's not the uh, most productive way to build a business. So I need to go back on. Um, but we, yes, Forgivity, well, it has its own Instagram. Um, we will start to, uh, you know, we'll start to kind of um, look into that more and more and build that out. Um, but yeah, if right now it's going to be the website and the app. And, um, and then for me personally, my Instagram handle is Ashram Sheik. That is the uh, company that I created uh, to help raise money for the nonprofit work. And so, um, so it's kind of my alter ego and, and has always been my um, struggle and inspiration. How do I live the spiritual life? 
inside the chic life because I am I feel like I'm both I have a foot in, in each world and kind of mastering that dance is a day-to-day job <laughs> so so people can find me there too wonderful thank you I'll include all of that in the show notes thank you Jenny thank you such a pleasure and you've really given me a lot to think about I'm really looking forward to trying the app thank you love thank you it's so good seeing you you too so that's the show thank you so much for listening Again, make sure to check out the show notes for Vero's full bio and ways to keep up with what she's doing. I believe the Forgivity app is now live. I had a chance to get a sneak peek at it a few weeks ago. It's really cool, really interesting, and just a really neat way to explore this idea of forgiveness and even work through it in a really just sort of measured, you know, paced way that doesn't feel overwhelming or um, sort of unrealistic. So definitely check it out if that feels interesting to you. If you're liking the podcast, please do take a second to rate it, review it, share it, subscribe, whatever feels right for you. Um, Any little bit of support really goes a long way. So thanks so much again, and I'll talk to you next time.